This is Let's Talk Business with your hosts, Mark Ebinger and Heather Bain. Now, here's Mark. Welcome to Let's Talk Business, the show that highlights and promotes entrepreneurs to learn more about their vision, goals, and marketing strategy. Coming up on the show today, we're going to talk with Frank Robles, an expert at solving difficult technology related business problems and the CEO of Division 42, which is a very cool name, by the way. Frank, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. Very much looking forward to being here. It's highly anticipated. All right. I like that. In studio with us today is Heather Bame, a certified business coach that works with business owners to gain clarity and achieve their goals. Heather, great to see you again. Always good to be here. And I'm your host, Mark Evinger, the owner of Krukus Marketing Agency, a company that specializes in hiring virtual assistants from outside the United States. A quick reminder for our listeners, you can catch video and podcast versions of the show anytime by visiting our website at satalkradio.com. And if you are a business owner in the San Antonio area and would like to have your company featured right here on the podcast, visit our website at satalkradio.com or you can call our office at 210-879-8804. That's 210-879-8804 and we can get you booked onto the show. All right, so volunteering in our community. So there's lots of ways, of course, that we can do this, right? We can go out and we can bring, we can financially, we can bring products and goods and, you know, services and all that kind of stuff. But what I really kind of wanted to focus in here for this discussion is going to that next level, right? Which is being on a board of a nonprofit. And, and Frank, I know you're on a board, uh, yep. as, as I recall, right? YMCA. For YMCA, exactly right. And Heather, you're on a board as well, or is well, that official I am yet? About to be on about the San Antonio Public Library Foundation's oh, board. That's cool. so, so I've never been on a board before. We did a before. partnership deal with them for oh, one really? of the Ys, where nice. we put a library in one of the Ys. Oh, perfect. Yeah. Well, I'll get to know more yeah. come January when I start. I really don't know what it's about, but I like libraries and I wanted to get more involved in my community. So I connected with them and I'm super excited to start oh, working I found with them. It really fulfilling, and you can really contribute your skills and knowledge. And I was just surprised how um, receptive they are. Me too. And and then you work with them, and I can see changes happening, and I see you know my fingerprints on some of the work we've done, just making contributions as a volunteer. Well, and that's the thing. I think the word board sounds very elite and elusive. It's just like the board of a foundation, and like I did not find that to be the case. Not that they don't qualified people it's not that they just like throw you into the board but they're really looking for people to get involved and and utilize their skills and time in a specific way on these boards so really it took showing interest and then having those conversations to start the process of being considered so once I get more involved I can tell you more about it but I'm very excited about plugging into a community that's going to have an actual impact on San Antonio at a high level. And and for us there's also a pretty significant fiduciary responsibility mm-hmm. which I'm proud to say that we've done pretty well at as a group. Um, and it's not easy though. I mean especially going through COVID we had to lay so many people off. We had to do a lot of transitions and then transition the type of services just to keep continuing to provide and serve the community. But we've we come out stronger. So let's talk about benefits to the business owner, right? There's lots of different levels in here, right? There's service to the community. There's the feel-good aspect of it. I want to really start with, um, as a business owner whose time is already strapped, right? Not for everybody. Once you reach a certain level, maybe you've got a lot more of your time freedom there. But for business owners that are more of the small business owner and they're uh, struggling with their, their time and their resources, um, but they're looking for ways to plug in in a way that can serve the community and also 
where they can, you know, maximize their impact that's good for them and for their business as well. Um, what are your thoughts there, Heather? Well, I think it's, it's one of those like more higher level concentrated efforts things. And how do you make your community service, service to the community synergistic with how you're planning to grow your business? How do you get yourself and your business in with like-minded people that could potentially afford your services and utilize them as well while you're giving back. So I think that could be a great way to create that synergy between being on a high level, you're demonstrating what you and your business bring to the table at a high level on a board. And generally people who are on the board have the net worth to be able to utilize services if they are needed. So you're kind of not going in expecting anything out of it. Obviously you shouldn't do it for that, but it could be a great side benefit. Frank, what are your thoughts there? Well, at least my, it's been my experience. You really can't do much with the entity that you're volunteering for. Mm, yeah. so you can't really have any expectations. You're just giving. Um, but you can network with other board members, and that could lead to things because you're working with other business owners or other executives. And there's different levels of boards, too, mm -hmm. um, where, like, we have boards for each of our Ys, and those are sort of local around the Ys. And then we have an overall board that covers all of the Ys. And so there's there's a different level of impact and interaction you have with your fellow board members. So that networking component, I think, is, is, is good. Yeah, and I think to, uh, to Heather's point, going in maybe to expect something out is not the, it's not the right vibration mm -hmm. or the no. right spiritual thing to go into it with. You no know, uh, one should do that. Yeah, right. No one should do that. It's, it's a give mentality and an enjoyment, um, you know, being present where you're at and then enjoying that process of giving back to whatever it is you're participating with. Well, and making with. it affecting the community. Like, like, you know, we've done all kinds of great things at the Y, like so the diabetes program that we put together. Just, it's changing people's lives. We did this whole program to help um, raise awareness for child molestation and that reduced child molestation here in San Antonio. So and not to mention the fitness and, and other th things that we help with families, like we have these family programs. We also have programs to help the elders to get them into fitness. All of these things we're doing to help people. Um, and I had a pretty good positive experience with the Y learning how to swim as a kid. Mm -hmm. And then my kids were both heavily involved in the Y and they both went to the camp with the Y and all of those things. And they were counselors there. So it's, it's all it's all like a holistic type of thing. Well, and I think that's the thing. You go into like networking groups, into networking events, and you're going specifically, even if you can't, you do build a community around it, like BNI and stuff like that. Ultimately, you're going in to get referrals to build your business. But on this end, it's more, I think you go into it not with that in mind really at all. It's like, I'm going to go into this, and if absolutely nothing other than my impact on the community comes out of it, I'm good with that because yeah. I'm passionate about this thing. Like I grew up, loved reading. We have big bookshelves. I love reading to my kids. And one of their initiatives this year is bringing teen spaces to the library to get teenagers to be able to have a space, safe space to come and enjoy books. And they want to get the word out and they want to create those spaces so they have access. And knowledge is power. Yep. I mean, if we can 100%. give, like books are the cheapest, highest level education and there's so much in them but people if you have to buy 10.99 books on amazon that's not expensive but it does add up and if you don't have a lot of money libraries are your easiest point of access to knowledge so like i get excited about that because i'm like how do we get everybody involved well, even a kid is not gonna have the disposable income mm -hmm. but they can go into a library and i did as a kid and you just you know it's a playground you'll find whatever book you want knock yourself out exactly so just being excited about what you're doing and then 
if you know also you're a business owner so don't be blind to areas of opportunity that come alongside that yep. right right all right great discussion all right, so first up on the show is Frank Robles, an expert at solving difficult technology-related business problems and the founder and CEO of Division 42. So, Frank, um, what? so give me a little bit about your – well, before we get into that, let me tell you <laughs> the, your accolades section here. So create, you've created a metro Ethernet for telecommunications. What's that? It's, it's kind of the current-day modern method uh, most countries and cities are doing telecom today. Um, Back towards the beginning of the internet, I was one of the founders of this company called Netcom. It was the first ISP to go public. And we had an unwilling partner, the telephone company. To get networking access to anybody, we had to pull in telephone lines, and we put internet on that. And half the money we would make, we would give to these guys, and they weren't even on our side. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so it was really hard. So back then, I came up with a way to circumvent them using fiber optics. So... I started leasing dark fiber, fiber optics with nothing on it, and I put electronics on it, a technology called Ethernet, which, which we use for our computers. Um, everyone said it wasn't going to be possible. That's just the technology doesn't exist. The APIs aren't there for it. The um, protocols you need to do the transmissions won't work. All of this naysayers. I made it work. And that's become a standard now around the world where we're putting e fiber out there, putting ether on, Ethernet on it, mm -hmm. and delivering telecommunications inside the buildings instead of using what used to be signaling for telephones because that's, that's how it was done before. Yeah, Is that where your pat patents came from? So you've got two telecom patents that are used around the world? Is well, that the patents were came around the same time, but a different thing. So they're pretty interesting. So they, um, NASA had – there was an article in my local paper in San Jose – headlines, you know, NASA says you can't do TCPIP, you can't do internet for the space. You can't do TCPIP to space. So it's not possible. And I says, what? That's crazy. That's, that's, that's totally possible. So I figured how to do it and I patented it. And now that's the basis for all telecom going to space for, for a TCPIP. Because of the methods that I came up with, there's hundreds of patents built upon my patent now, including Starlink as an example. They're using my patent to do communications for Starlink. Do you get paid on that? No, I don't get paid. That would be nice. That would have been real nice. And the other <laughs> patent was encapsulation, where when you're doing satellite transmissions for telecommunications, you're sending large packets of data, like really big packets. But sometimes you don't have enough for that, so you're sending a bunch of empty space. So I figured out a way to fill the empty space with TCP IP internet packets, IP packets. So I can send internet information in that empty space. And that's the second patent. Okay. So that's when just someone effective. says, ah, that can't be done, there's like a little light in your eyes that's like, <laughs> bet. Um, yeah, yeah. How does that relate to Division 42? Well, that's Division 42 came out of me being called to help people when they're stuck. Mm -hmm. Either a board of directors has a situation and they don't know what's going on in their IT department or someone's developing software and even though they've thrown a lot of money at it, they're not done. It doesn't work. They don't know where to go. That's happened several times with me. Uh, so in the end, they call me. It's sort of like I would consider it like SWAT team. So they call me in the SWAT team. I go in and help them figure out what's the reality, cut through all of the BS, and then put together teams if needed or bring my own teams if needed and get the problem solved. What do you find is usually that cloud that keeps them from being able to figure it out where you can come in and, and see that path? Um, lack of knowledge and experience. 
I mean, I've spent literally millions of dollars on different projects, millions of dollars on legal development, all of these large-scale projects. And so I have a lot of current experience doing those things, and I'm still doing these projects. So I have a lot of current-day experience to be able to cut through the BS. And I've been a programmer since I was a child. So I've been developing writing software since I was 11 years old. Mm -hmm. So I have the technical acumen to look at the technical part as well as the experience to see the broader scope. Because I've been a CEO for companies. I've managed hundreds of people. I know the other elements that come to play. So it's kind of a unique filter that I can see the problem through. So that's a good place for us to see. What's your background? So how did you end up where you are today? Um, well, I got a scholarship to the University of California as a kid. And I went to college there studying computer engineering at, in Santa Cruz, UC Santa Cruz. So started there. And after college, I got recruited into my first startup company, and I've been doing startup companies ever since, dealing with venture capital, raising money, building things from scratch. Um, for a short time, I was at HP. For a short time, I was at Apple. Um, then I was at Netcom that I mentioned earlier, and just company after company, and making substantial contributions along the way. So, and how does that lead you to Division 42? Is that you founded that company? Yes. Is that correct? Yes. Okay. And then, so how many people are in the company? What are you guys focusing on? There's about 24 people in the company, um, mostly outside the United States. There's a handful inside the United States. And we're, we've got several projects we're working on right now. We've got a couple we're actually about to ship um, that are pretty interesting. Two companies here in San Antonio, in fact. Um, one's called DisinfectWell, where they're disinfecting surfaces for surgery. Mm. and measuring before and after. And so we've written the software to report that information out to the hospitals. So I'm expecting to launch that at the end of this week. And then the other one that's really I'm really excited about is called Clear Funds. It's here in town, and it's for commercial construction. So we've been working on that for three years, and I'm also an investor in that company. And we bring it, what the software does is it brings in the whole value chain for commercial construction. The lender, the, the owner of the building perhaps, the general contractor, and then all the subs and all the vendors. And then they run their project through the software in terms of submitting all of their invoices. They call them pay-ups. And we integrate the requirement for lien releases and, and lien notices happening so they can sign a lien waiver when they submit their invoice. And all the approvals are visible, so they can see what's happening with their money, with their approvals. Right now, it's an invisible process. They can't see. And when it gets to the top and approval happens, we distribute the funds to everybody simultaneously. So the trick about the software, by doing it this way, is we get everybody paid within 30 days hmm. instead of 60, 90, 120. Even the general contractor on average here in Texas is 54 days. So it gets everybody paid within 30 days. They're not going to have to do payday lending. They're not going to have to go do factoring. It's just it's going to change their world. Where's the resistance going to come on that? I mean, there's, there's bound to be people that are benefiting from the slow. There's a handful process. of people that might like holding on to other people's money. Because imagine the system today. I mean, the system today is maybe the invoice comes to the owner of the building or the builder or whoever the developer is. He approves it. It goes to the bank if there's a bank involved. And they distribute the funds by giving it to the general contractor. Mm -hmm. So on a substantial building, that general contractor might get a $1.2 million check at the end of the month. And he's, he's got to pay everybody. And so today, generally, those, those are checks in the mail. And they run the check next Tuesday. So he's sitting on that money until next Tuesday. And then maybe out of that $1.2 he's he's actually supposed to get paid about eighty grand. 
and the rest goes to other people. But he's sitting on that. And so then he starts sending out checks, and then you've got to wait for those checks to get there. And then if there's any um, changes to those invoices, like maybe something didn't get done or needs to be corrected, he's going to hold on to their money. So it's going to delay even longer. So this, this delaying effect, sort of like a slinky, happens where it just gets stretched out, stretched out, stretched out for people to get paid, and you hear the checks in the mail. And the guys at the end, they don't want to call in because they don't want to be that guy. I don't want to be the guy harassing it. I want to be on the next, next project. So they're, they're kind of stuck, and they, but they, have no, they don't have any visibility. And meanwhile, the company is holding on to the money. is collecting an interest on That's it right. as well, That's right? That's right. And now that interest is pretty substantial. So you are building that. We've built that. And we're going to launch in oh, about two or three weeks. You're launching it. And then you also own a portion of I have the- some equity in that company. You've got some equity. What does that look like? Was it part of the build-out? Um, initially, it was going to be part of the build-out. Sometimes, um, sometimes the, the company can't afford you know, our list prices. Mm-hmm. And so if the project is compelling enough, I'll, I'll take some of that in equity. And that's how we started with this project. But it got so involved, and I invested a lot more money. So it, it's, it's a different. It changed a little bit. Well, that's, that's what I found interesting because there's equity. So you've got ownership in it, and there's trade services. But how often when you take equity in a company do you end up utilizing that experience and expertise in all your different businesses at a higher level and, like, your own funds? I, I treat them all the same, actually. Mm-hmm. That's kind of the thing I think is kind of unique about our company is, and that's not just me. It's like with my head of engineering, with my product people, with my design people. I mean, we often, this feels like we care more about the project than the company does and the customer. I mean, we are fully committed. You know, we're pushing, pushing, pushing. And the, the biggest problem mostly is to get the principal at the customer's site to respond or give us feedback. Because it's like we're, we're just on it. Yeah, and that's that can be kind of frustrating when you it can, can be. It can be, but if it's reassuring to me as a leader that we are ahead of the game. We're not wait, you know, they're not waiting on us. I never want them mm-hmm. waiting on us. I, I want to be ahead of the game. If there's a problem, I want to know about it before anybody else does. I want to have it solved before it even affects anybody else. Yeah. So, what does the future of Division Forty Two look like for you? Um, we're gonna grow. We're we're. I've sort of just been off the radar the last few years, mm-hmm. intentionally so. And now we're changing that a little bit. We're going to reach out a little bit more, and we want to grow some of our services. The main things I kind of want to grow is our software development group to do more software development projects, especially given that we have some that we're marking done soon. Mm-hmm. And I also want to grow our consultative services, where it's me and a couple other senior executives that consult with businesses of different levels either as mentoring or help them build a sales organization or help them do planning for their corporation as it migrates, those type of things. So why is a company called Division 42? Where does the name come from? Um, that's a fun story. The, uh, it's, it comes from Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Huh. So, so if you re- read Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, it's the answer to life, the universe, and everything is the number 42. 42. It's a very funny book. <laughs> so given that it's the number 42, this is the division that has the answers. So when you're stuck, come to, to division 42. <laughs> I like that. It's going to appear. See, I'm, I'm not a Doctor Who guy. I, I never, you know, I never got into the, I had a good friend of mine that was into it, but. What's well, Hitchhiker's uh, Guide to the Galaxy. It's not Doctor Who, but. Oh, sorry. 
He was into both. That's what's got me. Okay. Actually, at one time, I thought it was the same thing, but at any rate. <laughs> uh, Not so, a yeah. sci-fi guy. Well, it's English humor. It's English <laughs> it is humor, English but it's humor. so funny. It's so funny. All right, cool. So I have an interesting, because a lot of the people that listen to this, I assume, and I do encourage all of you listening to interact so we know, um, are entrepreneurs generally like aspiring to be be bigger, do big things and, and build their businesses. So if you could go back to when you were younger, like what what is something that you could tell yourself from your point of view now that would help you get where you're going faster, easier? In some instances, stick to things, some things longer. Mm-hmm. But you know, the lesson that was hard for me to learn, I think took a while is fail fast. The whole idea of fail fast. Because it really, honestly, if you see something, you see, here's my situation, and I project forward. Maybe I have a job at a company, or you know, I have a relationship with somebody, or I'm trying to do business with somebody, but it's very frustrating. If you just look ahead, you know, one month, two months, six months, where does this go? And you, and you see, this is no way this is going to work out, then fail now. You're not doing yourself any favors. You're not doing them any favors. Same thing when you have employees. Like you, Sometimes it's your fault. You hired that person. It's incumbent on you. Maybe they didn't perform the way you had imagined, but that was in your head, you know. But you know, come to, if it's not going to work out, then let's say, hey, it's not going to work out. It's nothing on you, nothing on me. Let's part ways. Make sure everyone's good, but fail fast. Don't let things linger. And sometimes in my life, I think I've let you know employment relationships linger too long. I've let projects linger too long. Sometimes it's just not going to work. You need to accept that. Move on. That's great advice because uh, there's Gary Vaynerchuk, who I, I've seen some of his stuff out there, and he's talking about hire fast, fire faster, right? But promote faster, faster, right? It's like if they're good. So in other words, just that attentiveness to what's going on, self-awareness right. as well, and then being realistic. Like, is this going to work? If it's not going to work, let's just this is it. Oh, I've given lots of realistic speeches. <laughs> but like- on the other hand, though, if like we're being – completely realistic would he have created a patent that would allow the internet to go to space there has to be some level of not being realistic for you to even try so where's that balance like you know the the three feet story where you the guy digs in the mine and he finally after years gives up and the next guy comes in digs three feet and they hit the gold vein that does happen that's the stick to this part of things Mm -hmm. For, for me i'm an optimist and sometimes you just know stuff i mean it's it's that's those 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 things I don't know how it happens, like the Metro Ethernet thing. I had a community tel- I had an ISP, small ISP. After leaving Netcom, I had a, in Palo Alto, and one of my clients had come in, and he said, "You know what? They ran this fiber through my backyard, and you know I just want to use that." He reached up, I just want to use that somehow, and he was just paying for a dial-up modem line, right? But he just was enamored with this fiber, and it just hit me an instant how to do it. You know, I had a 7513 router in the back office, which was this big, giant Cisco router. I had an extra Ethernet port. I know I can connect fiber to I, I can get a media converter. I figured this, boom, just came to me within a, like a lightning. And then I spent the next year doing it. And there, then I was interviewed by the Mercury News. And I told them what was my plan was. And they thought I was crazy. And the, but they reported on it. And then I told them a year later. Look, I, I said I'm going to take a year. And I did it. And then they reported on that. And then I raised a lot of money for that company. That's cool. That's that, you know, when you're in your lane and you had those aha moments and you get that clarity right away, yeah. then the rest of it's tenacity. You know right. what I mean? Is you're just going to flush it out. Yeah, because there's this barrier, barriers of barriers get thrown in front of you. Like 
there was one company that built the box that I needed, a piece of equipment to plug the things into, and then Cisco bought them. And then there was a second one that built. I was gonna, I needed that box. Cisco bought it. <laughs> it's like, Cisco was they like, didn't want those boxes on the market. So, but finally, I got there. So, can you tell me a little bit about the fundraising piece? Because I feel like that's a high level skill. If you can fundraise, you can plug that into a lot of different industries. What did learning that look like for you? Um, multiple, multifold actually. One of it was when I was first my first time fundraising. I knew a venture capitalist, a friend, and he had left and he started a company called Kana Communications and I was helping him. I wrote his design guide for his, his company when they got started and had equity in his company. So I was helping him. His name's Mark Ganey. And, and Mark says, you know what, just talk to the VCs that you know. Just keep it close. You got a great idea, keep it close to the chest, talk to the ones you know. And I knew four and I talked to him, I talked to like Seth Nyman um, at Crosspoint Ventures was another one. So I talked to the four that I knew. I knew one of the guys at um, Sequoia and, but they knew me too well. You know, they knew me as like a, you know, more of a young developer. They didn't know me as an entrepreneur, founder, you know, guy with a good idea. And when they even considered investing, they were giving me this really low numbers. And it was just, I knew this, this is not right. And on my own, I just said, screw it. And I just went and I talked to everybody that could move. And I was flying on a plane and I was in New York. And, and then I ended up raising a lot of money and I, and I got a lot of interest. So really going broad and pushing, but you've got to tell your story over and over again. And then that's the second part. Second part is understanding what you're saying and understanding that when you say something, it's going to initiate obvious questions in the listener's mind, and you need to have the answers to those questions. So I spent the next four months collecting questions. I would pitch, and I would collect questions, and I would pitch, and I would collect questions, and by the end, I knew what all the answers to were to all the questions. And if you don't know the answer, hey, you got to say, I don't know, I'll find out, that's fine, and be responsive, like get back to them quickly. So understanding what you're even pitching, which on the other side, as an investor, when I'm listening to pitches, you can poke holes in lots of these entrepreneurs' presentations really effectively because they don't even have it fully thought out. Mm -hmm. So you need to make sure your plan is fully thought out. So real quick, I want to dig in a little bit more to sure. telling everybody that moves because I feel like people don't always have those high-level connections. I, I, I know multiple people who don't know one venture capitalist, let alone four. So when you say everyone that moves, do you mean that or do you start meaning like high-level professional connections? No, I, I mean uh, people who are, are in the business of doing investing. Okay. So the, those ones that move. And I didn't know most of the ones that I talked to either. I just started getting introductions. I would talk to one person and I'd get introduced to a couple other people and just be very tenacious about following up and tracking down. And since I had, I had a really good idea and I had my materials were all prepared properly and had everything in order, it became a compelling story. Mm -hmm. And I had a financial, I had a five-year financial model that was all baked. I mean, everything was baked. I like that. So you didn't just because I feel like when people hear everybody that moves, they think like, hey, Mark, you know, cause, you know no, 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 no. But you people who, who are in the business of investing. It goes back to being intentional with those 20 percent of activities. You know, you're right. not just blabbing right. it to the, to the grocer that's checking you out no, at the grocery no, no, store, no. but you're intentionally getting the connections to the people who 
you know, they may not want to invest, but they at least have the ability to. And do there's it. lists of these people out there. There's lists because some lots of them are seeking. They want deals. They want to see deals. Now they may give you a quick no. Basically, a quick no is a blessing. Mm-hmm. Because some of these guys will get not tell you no, not tell you yes, and just keep you on the hook, and they're wasting your time. Because they're, if they're not going to be a yes, then they're wasting your time. Some of those, as you get yeses from other people, they come back and they want to be in the deal. Mm-hmm. That happened. That's happened to me before. That's got to be rewarding. Right? So part in part, I, yes. I told you so. Well, <laughs> in part. I mean, it really depends on the Dallas. You're talking terms. You got to get ah. down to terms. See, that's a mature way to look at it. Mine was the immature way. (laughs) And he's like, no, we're talking terms. I love that. All right, well, we're going to wrap up this section. We're getting into the after show. I want to get into blockchain uh, technology a little bit there uh, because I know you've been working with that a bit. So, Frank, if folks want to get in touch with you, how do they find you? Where's a good place to look? Um, Our website's div42, div42.com. All right, love it. Thanks, Frank. I I really enjoyed that segment. I, I did a lot, so I learned a lot. All right, as we wrap up the show, quick reminder, check out our latest podcast uh, by visiting our website at satalkradio.com where you can find podcasts, of course, and video versions of the show. That's going to be it for this show. Thanks a lot, everybody. Great job. Thank you. Sounds good.